We just absolutely love you today. God, you are so awesome. And God, we just praise you in this house. And God, we ask that God, you would be with us as we minister today. That God, you would speak through us. You would speak to us. God, that your word would be alive. Your word would be real. And God, we'll give you all the praise. We'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? So we're talking about a classic Christmas. Talking about the greatness of Christmas. And we're so delighted, as I said, that every one of you chose to be with us. But you know what? I'm glad today that we can be in the house together and that we can learn. I'm I'm glad that we have an opportunity to learn together. I'm glad that through this series we've understood again that a Savior was born for mankind. Our Savior was given for each one of us. I'm glad that I have discovered that I'm favored and chosen. I don't know if you're excited about that, but I'm glad about that. It wasn't about what good I had done. It was that God saw something in me when I was nothing. And God says, my favor and my choice is upon you. All we've got to do is accept that. I'm glad about that today. Come on, I'm glad that Emmanuel was sent to this earth. I'm glad it wasn't God who will come when he feels like it, but I'm glad that Emmanuel is God with us. Come on, God that wants to be alive inside of us. I'm glad that even the circumstances of my life, God can still turn around to be a part of his awesome plan. I'm glad that there's a great setup and I'm a part of that. that What looks like I'm over and it's no hope that God can turn around into great hope. Why? Because it's never over with God. Because he works all things together for good. That's actually a scripture in the word of God. Did you know that? That's a scripture. Look at the scripture. It's from Romans 8 verse 28 and it says these words. It says, and we know... That all things work together for good to those who love God. Let me say that again. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For we know... Everything is not good. Can someone say amen to that? Everything's not good. When we're sick, that's not good. When we don't have money, that's not good. When our children misbehave, that's not good. We don't like all those things, but the Bible says to each one of us, it may not be good, but it can be God. I didn't mess up there. It may not be good, but it can be God. What does that mean? When God is involved, what looks like it's not good can be turned around to good. When it's God that's involved, it can be all good in His timing and part of His divine plan. I'm going to say something right now. It may shock you, but God didn't die to make you happy. 
well, hold on a second, I'm supposed to be happy all my life. No, God died to fulfill his purpose in each one of our lives. So that means we may not always be happy. It means, means we may not have everything together like we think we should, but we know that all things are working together for good to those who love God. But God is turning around things according to his purpose. That word there suggests a deliberate plan. God has a deliberate plan for your life. He has an advanced plan. He has his intentions. He has his design. I like how the New Living Translation presents this. Or actually the NIV presents this. In the New International Version it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. Who have been called according to to his purpose. One other thing, then I must move on. You've got to understand this, that when we talk about all things, that does not include our sins. We cannot just pray and keep sinning and believe God's going to turn it around for good. Come on, don't shout me down in the house. We've got to realize that excludes our sins. That excludes our negligence there. We cannot excuse sin by, by maintaining that God's going to work it all out for good. What do we have to do to sin? We have to confess our sin. We have to repent of our sin. Then guess what? God can turn it around and he can make it all good. So no matter where we're at, the circumstances and situations of our life, God is working all things for good in each one of our lives. And I said all that not as a recap, but to lay a foundation for today's message. Because in knowing all of this stuff, what stuff? That we're favored and chosen. Knowing that he's Emmanuel, that he's God with me. Knowing that he's working on my favor, on my behalf, to turn around every circumstance. We can still have questions. Any of you ever have questions? Come on, life's full of questions, isn't it? We can all have questions in our life. You perhaps questioned some things this week. And you've asked, I don't understand this. Maybe you've questioned something today, waking up in this service, even what I've just said right now. Maybe you've questioned some things because we have questions, questions, questions. We have the whys, we have the whats, we have the ifs. But it's not wrong to ask questions. Because in fact, that's a major way that we can learn is through asking questions. In fact, they say that's a sign of intelligence to ask questions. So if you want to talk with me later, I'm going to ask you some questions. Come on, I'm ringing, I'm echoing up here. If you could turn me down, that would be great. So it's not wrong to ask questions. We've all been around kids. You know, remember the kids? Don't do that. Why? They don't really ask questions. They just throw out that curse word. You know, why? Why? Well, if you do that, then your eyes are going to, whatever, you know, something's going to happen to you. Your eyes are going to burst out of your head. Why? (laughs) Well, because that's just how it happens. Why? We've all had that annoying child who's been asking those questions. But it's important, listen to me, joking aside, it's so important that we answer the whys of our children. Because if we don't, the world will. So it's so important that we don't blow them off and we don't tell them the wrong thing. It's amazing how many times I know with Luke, he's at that age in our family, how he'll turn around and say, well, such and such at school says this is how this happens. Luke, that's not true. Well, that's what they said. It's amazing how their whole thought of how things happen can be framed on what someone else has said. And they don't almost believe you because the first thing they heard about it was what Johnny said. And therefore, Johnny knows everything. 
Johnny doesn't know everything. But it's important that we answer the whys of our children. So it's not wrong to have questions, but it's wrong when our questions steer us wrong. What do I mean by that? When our questions begin to make us doubt God. That we begin to doubt God and we begin to look and say, bad God, you're you're not interested in my life because if you were, then why was this happening? And and if you were, and what's going on? It's amazing, isn't it? That if you would look in the beginning of time in the garden, that was the way that Satan destroyed the relationship between man and God. By asking a question. He posed a question. Did God really say? What was his motive? What was his reasoning behind what he was doing? He was trying to make mankind doubt the word of God. To question God. And as a result of questioning God, man was led into sin. He took of the fruit that he should not of. He took the wrong advice. He went the wrong direction and the wrong way. Questions aren't wrong, but they're wrong when they lead us the wrong way. They're wrong when they cause us to doubt God. Today, the title of our message is Questions from the Hillside. Questions from the Hillside. Why would I title my message that? Because I really believe even when reading the story of Christmas, that we can see questions in how God chose to do things. Things that are different to perhaps the way that we would have done things. So therefore, instead of saying, well, you're God and you can do whatever you want, we question those things. And we question them to the extent that many times we begin to get bitter, we begin to get resentful against God, and we begin to say, hold on a second, God, that's not right. We're looking at that today, how questions can cause us to doubt the working of God. But as we're about to see, every question that we may have for everything that God does is part of his divine plan. Because God sees the whole picture of what we only see apart. So is it wrong for us to question if we're doubting God? Yes. But here's where we've got to find ourselves. So often we question because we don't see it all. But we need to trust in a God who knows the end from the beginning. Come on, he knows the beginning from the end. He's got it all taken care of. And therefore, my life, your life is not determined by chance. But your life is determined by divine purpose. His divine purpose. Turn with me today to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. We're going to read the next part of the Christmas story. Sorry for the words and just different things today. We've had some issues with that today. Don't you just love technical issues? But incidentally, Ty, you looked great on the church news. Don't Ty look good? She's our celebrity in the house. We love it. So Luke chapter 2, verse 8 through 20 says this. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Imagine that. Then the angel said to them, here's that famous words again, don't be afraid. Yeah, right, easy for you to say. Can anyone say amen? Amen. Then the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign unto you. 
You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host that praised God, saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. So then it was, as the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the sayings which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and all the things that they had seen and everything that was told to them. The story of the shepherds. The questions we're going to look at from the hillside. This is high drama stuff right here. This is theatrics. This is special effects on steroids. Could you imagine that day in the middle of the night being awoken or being aroused and seeing all this going on? Wow, this is absolutely incredible. But God does things right. The greatest event in history had just happened in a stable nearby. And laying in a manger was the Son of God, Emmanuel, the Savior of the world. For the ages up to this time, the Jews had waited for this. They had waited for their promised Messiah. They had waited for their earthly king. Now it had happened. And look what it says in Luke 2, verse 10 and 11. Then the angel said to them, say with me, them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to who? You. Say with me, you. This day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Love that. Love that. But what we've just read there, who's the them? Who are the them? The angels aren't in the temple advertising it to the religious leaders and the people of that day. The angels are not in the palace announcing it to the king and to the dignities and to the royalties and to the scribes and to the scholars. But what? The angels are on a hillside proclaiming the news of a savior to a bunch of stinky shepherds. What do you mean stinking shepherds? Have you ever been around sheep? They stink. If you're around something that stinks, guess what happens to you? You stink. They're stinking shepherds. They're out on the hillside. So here's my first question as I look at this passage of the story. Why shepherds? Why shepherds? Why shepherds? I wonder if you've ever thought that. I wonder if I'm the only one. Welcome into my mind today. This message is my thoughts and where I come from. What's going on here? I mean, if this was the greatest news the world had ever been given, why shepherds in the middle of nowhere? Mankind, yes, was promised the Messiah. But these guys, these shepherds, probably didn't even really know anything about it. And even what they did know, they didn't really care. They weren't waking up every day saying, I wonder if this is the day. Could this be the day? Could this be? No, no, no. Their lives don't even have any thought of this event. 
And the announcement came to humble shepherds. At first glance, glance, you could feel, God, you've got it wrong. Have you ever asked that question in your life? God, you've got it wrong. God, it's not supposed to be like this. It was supposed to be like that. At first glance, many times we can see that perhaps God gets it wrong. And we've got to watch asking misdirected questions because they're going to cause us to doubt the God whose divine plan wants to operate in our lives. The first to know that Christ was born were shepherds. Why? Why? Because it's God's plan. Did you catch that? Because it's God's plan. We want all the answers to all the questions right now. But sometimes we've just got to throw our hands in the air and say, God, I trust you. God, I trust you. I don't understand it all, but God, I trust you. I don't understand it, but I trust you. As we look at the shepherds, as we look at who they are, what they represent, many people have concluded this, that the reason he came to shepherds was because he himself was going to be the shepherd of Israel. He was going to be the one that was going to be the great shepherd that was going to lead his people out of a spiritual bondage. He was going to lead them out of sin. He was going to be the shepherd. He talked many times in the Gospels about we are sheep and we've lost our way and how we've turned to other things, but yet we need a shepherd. We need one who would lead us and guide us. So he talks of himself, perhaps, being that shepherd. So maybe that's why they came to the shepherd. Maybe it's because shepherds were the lowliest trade of that day. It was one of those things that no one wanted to aspire to be a shepherd. It was almost a despised trade. If you were a shepherd, Joseph even talks about that when his brothers come into Egypt. He says, don't even tell Pharaoh that you're shepherds because that's a despised trade. He won't want to be around you. You're going to have to separate yourself. It wasn't a glitz and glamour position. When David was with the sheep, he was forgotten even by his family. Why? Because what he did was so menial, it was so unimportant, they thought, what's the point? Who would ever even care? So Jesus came to shepherds. Why? Because he came for the whosoever. He came that everyone from the lowest to the highest, he came. Why? Because he wanted to include everyone, perhaps plain, perhaps ordinary. He came. I'm glad today he came to the shepherds because that means he came for me. That he can reach my life and he can touch my life. You see, Jesus came for anyone with a humble enough heart to accept him. Shepherds were the perfect example for this. I want to give you another reason why I believe Jesus came to the shepherds. Something that God showed me this week. Take it or leave it. I'm not forcing anything upon you. But notice what we read is this. The shepherds were on the hillside taking care of sheep. You may say, that's what God showed you. That's not very profound. We already knew that. Just hold on. They tell us that those sheep probably were not your ordinary everyday sheep. In fact, they tell us that those sheep were being used or would have been used for temple sacrifice. They tell us that from Jerusalem, they would keep the sheep that would be sacrificed before God in the fields just outside of Bethlehem. So here's my thought that something that God showed me this week is this. Maybe it really wasn't the shepherds that God came for, but really what they took care of. 
the sheep, the sacrifice. Because at that time, man could only have relationship with God through a sacrifice. If they sinned, they had to have an atonement. They had to have something that died in their place, that took their place. So therefore, the lambs represented the relationship, the opportunity that man had to be with God. Listen to me. The angels came down, I believe, to a bunch of sheep that were looked after by shepherds and said, hold on, you're not going to need a sacrifice any longer. Come on, I have come to this world to pay the sin debt once and for all. Come on, I am Emmanuel. I'm the spotless lamb. Come on, the one who would take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist said this in John 1 verse 29 when he saw Jesus. He said, behold the lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All an animal sacrifice could do was just cover sin. But his blood that would be later shed upon a cross, come on, it didn't just cover sin. It took away sin. It paid the price for sin. Dying once and for all for each one of us. The cross, even the symbol of the cross, it touches the past. It reaches into the future and it's present right now. Come on, the blood of Jesus went back. It's for right now and it goes forward because what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, we can question so many times, but we can see the divine plan of God that he says, no longer do you need a sacrifice. No longer do you need a substitute, but I will come and I have come to pay the price once and for all for your life. That day, the shepherds were presented with the lamb of God. He has come into this world. To save the people from their sins. I think that's powerful. I think that's pretty cool. Take it or leave it. But God could have probably done it different. If I was God, I would have probably gone to the palace. I would have probably done this. I'd have probably done that. But aren't you glad that you're not God? I'm glad I'm not God. And I'm glad that it was all part of his divine plan. And here's the reality. It's not for me to question. It's for me to trust. Look at Luke chapter 2 verse 8. It says, now they were in the same country shepherds. We just talked about them. They were living out in the fields. And then it gives us something I think that is very important too. It says, keeping watch over their flocks by, by night. Here's my second question that I look at. Talking about how we can so easily question in our lives the ways of God, but yet how we can question even the story and the word of God so many times. Here's my second question. Why at night? Why at night? If you are making the greatest announcement that this world has ever seen, why at night? We're not talking early evening here. We're not talking while people are just kind of on their way home from work. We're not talking about when people are checking in for the night. We're talking about in the middle of the night. When everyone else is asleep, perhaps the only ones that are awake are the shepherds who are watching and guarding their sheep. Everyone else is zonked out. Everyone else is sleeping. Everyone else is preparing themselves for the next day. But here they are. Wouldn't it have been better, God, to do it at lunchtime? 
Would it not have been better to do it in broad daylight? I Come on, rush hour so that everyone could have seen. Could you imagine in the hustle and the bustle of everything going on, all of a sudden the angels appeared. Wow, the whole world would have had to stop and say, wow, and fall to their knees and begin to worship the one that had come. But God didn't do it like that. It's amazing, isn't it? Why God? The questions that we can have. Nighttime actually was the most important time for the shepherds to be awake. Because it was during that time that the thieves and the predators would come out. So here they are faithfully fulfilling the task at hand. Why at night? Because God is looking for people who are faithful. God is looking for people who are faithful. And even with the questions they'll trust God. He's looking for those who aren't sleeping spiritually, but those who are wide awake, redeeming the time and saying, God, as for me and my house, we're going to be live. We're going to be awake. We're going to be serving you. We're going to be living you. It may be dark all around us, but there's a light inside of us. And we're not cursing the darkness. We're lighting a candle. Come on, because light expels darkness. They were faithfully fulfilling the task at hand. And bam, the sky was lighter than the brightest of day. God's glory shone. His his awesomeness was so incredible. It was brighter than the moon, the sun, everything all together. Do you realize that when we get to heaven, here's just a thought for you. Do you realize when we get to heaven, there's going to be no sun, there's going to be no moon, and there's going to be no stars? You're not going to have to go into the house and flip a light switch in your mansion. You know what's going to be the light of heaven? The Bible says the glory of God is going to be the light of heaven. Think about that. No more shadows, no more fear, no more emptiness, no more loneliness, no more darkness. The presence of God, the glory of God is going to be such a glow that it's going to override. There's going to be no darkness in heaven because God is there. He was showing them a taste of what? Heaven on earth. He was showing them of what he was going to do. And then the skies were full of angels. And only a few shepherds were awake that day to see it. And to hear the message the angels had to bring. Why? Because it's part of God's plan. I can question and get upset and doubt God. Or I can say, God, I would have done it different. But God, you are almighty. And you're working everything together for my good. And God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. But as you look at the story, it really wasn't about the glow. And it wasn't about the brightness. Because the angels calmed the shepherds and said, just calm down, just fear not. And they refocused their attention to say this in Luke 2 verse 10. Good tidings of great joy will be to you and all people. It's not about all this, it's about the message. It's about the saviour who has come. But it sure shows us that even in our darkest moments, he is able to bring hope and a future into that place. Reminding us that weeping may endure for the night, but joy is coming in his morning. Night is not the end, it's just the what? The awakening of a new day. It's just setting the scene for God to come. Why? Because joy is coming in the morning. And think about this. God put on the whole display of heaven for just a few shepherds. Not for the whole world, but just for a few. 
Doesn't that show the heart of God, the heart that he has for you? The Bible says no good thing will he withhold from each one of us. God has greatness for our lives. We can think, well, I'm not good enough and I'm not special enough. Listen, God put on display the whole of heaven for just a few shepherds because he didn't come after the masses. He came for the one. Maybe God came at night too because it was a picture of our sin. Maybe it was because of our darkened life that God says, I'm going to come and bring hope to the world. There's going to be light in your life. Why at night? The only answer I have is this. It's part of his divine plan. I would have done it differently. I would have done things different. But it's not for me to question. It's for me to trust. Verse 13 and 14, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill towards men. The angels have just announced what he was going to be, what Jesus would be, the announcement of the angels. He could have been anything. He could have brought anything into the world. The angels could have perhaps said, Glory to God in the highest and money for everyone. I feel sorry for those people in Georgia. What is it? They netted 120 million from the Powerball this last week. They think their problems are going to be solved with that. Just watch out. Their problems are going to be greater than they ever imagined possibly. Why? Because we can think that's a blessing, but I'm telling you, it's not a blessing. Jesus could have been announced as glory to God. I'm your continual payday. Cha-ching. Anything you need. Cha-ching. I'm yours. Come on. Glory to God in the highest. It could have been said. Success and blessing for everyone. It could have been saying glory in the highest. No sickness. No pain. But what was the announcement? Glory in the highest. Peace. Peace. Why peace? I mean, out of everything that you could have come as, everything you could have been announced as, why peace? Why peace? Why peace? That's my third question in reading this story. What is peace? Why would you be peace? The dictionary tells us that peace is freedom from strife of any kind, a rest from strife, a rest from adversity. You see, Jesus came to give us more than circumstantial peace, which is important and as great as that is. But the peace that Jesus came to give each one of us is greater than that. It's impossible for us to live with worldly peace at all times. The Bible says, as much as possible, live at peace with men. But it doesn't say it's always possible as much as is possible for you. There's going to be unrest. There's going to be things that's happening. As much as you claim the peace of God all around you, there's going to be peace around you. Uh, Not peace around you, but there can be peace within you. There can be peace within you. So why would he be announced as peace? Here's why. Because peace, true peace, is only found in relationship with Christ. True peace is only found through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Having been justified, someone has said of that word once is justified, never sinned, is the thought there. That I have been justified, that he has forgiven me, he's taken everything, and now what happens as a result, I can have peace. Remember what the angel told Joseph, his name would be Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Even by his name, we understand his intent was what to be with us, to be in relationship with us, to be right there with us. So why peace? Because we can have that through relationship with God doesn't mean everything's going to fall into place it doesn't mean everything automatically works out to plan but in the midst of unrest and turmoil there can be an inner peace that can bring us through I may not always understand it and I may question it but it's up for me to trust it look what it says in Philippians 4 verse 6 and 7 be anxious for nothing But in everything by prayer, fellowship, relationship, talking, communion with God and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace that comes. Notice the peace that comes through giving to God our stress, our strain, our worries, our concerns, giving God our life. As a result of giving him our life, he sends his peace. And really, he doesn't just send his peace. You've got to see this. He is peace. He is the peace that wants to come into your life, which will surpass all understanding. You know what that means? Every question that you can have in your life. Why did he come to be the peace? Because he knew you would have questions. But he has come to surpass everything that you try to figure out. You try to reason in your life. And he even goes on further to say that I will guard your hearts and your minds through through Christ Jesus. That means that everything's going to work out according to his plan. And his peace will sustain us and keep us through or going through every dynamic of life. Oh God, I can't see you. I've got to trust you. Give me that peace that I know. It's amazing that you hear of people, and I know in my life, some of the worst circumstances of life that I've ever seen people in. It's amazing when some people can look at you and say, I've just got the peace of God that everything's going to be okay. The opportunities to question are there when the doctor says there's cancer and we've got no hope for you, but people can say, but I've still got a peace that God's got it under control. And if God doesn't want to heal me divinely right now, he can use other methods and other means. And even if he takes me home to be in heaven, I've got peace with what God is going to do in this situation. You see why peace? Because that's God's. That's God's. His peace will sustain us and keep us. A saviour is born, one who saves. Made way for a personal relationship with God. I, I know you've probably seen this slogan before, but I still think it's pretty cool. Look at this, no Jesus, no peace. But no Jesus and you'll know peace. Come on, no Jesus, N-O peace. But to know Jesus, K-N-O-W. Come on, you can K-N-O-W peace. You can know peace in each one of your lives. You and I have an opportunity to be in relationship with him, the greatest gift that could ever be given and was given. And people have questioned that through the ages and some try to find peace in other places except God. There's got to be other places. There's got to be other people. I just want this and I want that. And therefore they try to fill, listen, a God-shaped void, a space that only he can fill with everything else. And it's amazing when we try to fill a God-shaped void with everything else in our quest for peace in the things of this world. 
They have only succeeded in bringing us more uncertainty, more pain, and more anguish. That we find ourselves more lost. But even no matter how lost we are, we're never beyond his loving reach. We're never further gone than the peace that he can still bring to each one of our lives. I've got to end today. Verse 14, glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace. What was next? Goodwill. Goodwill towards men. Here's my question. What is goodwill? It's not just a thrift store. Well, it's a thrift store. Let's just go to the goodwill. Goodwill, they tell us in the dictionary, is a kind or friendly feeling. I like how the New Living Translation says, it says, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to all whom God favors. Peace and favor upon our lives. You see, goodwill is God's will, which is to place his favor upon your life. Goodwill towards us. What, me? Yes, each one of us. Look what it says in Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with him in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love that. In his kindness towards us. That's his goodwill. That's his favor. Why would God want to place his favor upon me? I would have chosen someone else. But is it for me to question or is it for me to trust? Think of how many opportunities you're going to have throughout the course of your life to say, is this for me to question or is it for me to trust? And you see, when we can represent and bring that into our lives, we're going to see a different outcome because the kindness of God is awesome. His mercy, his forgiveness is limitless to us. When Jesus was approached and asked when he was living on this earth and he was asked, why are you with the tax collectors? Why are you with the sinners? Why are you with the prostitutes? Why are you with those kind of people? Don't you know who they are? You know what Jesus said to them? He said, it's the sick that need a doctor. He said, I've come for the lost. You can read that in Matthew 9 verse 12. And that was his goodwill towards us, that he didn't exclude us, but he made a way for us. That he chose to come into a sin-sick world, becoming our redeemer and becoming our savior and taking our place. But there's more as a result of his goodwill and what he's done and his favor upon our lives. I believe we should return the favor to other people around us. That we should show mercy, we should show peace. The Bible says this in James 2 verse 17, it says, But faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. What works is he talking about there? I believe he's talking about allowing what God has done for us to be seen by others around. By testifying the fact that I was lost, but now I'm found. And the same God that did that for me, Come on, it's the same God that can do it for you. Come on, way it works does not produce my faith, but faith. What? As a result of my faith, the byproduct is the works that I do for God and the example that I live for Him. So let me tie all this together today. It's amazing, even from God's story, 
that we know the outcome for. We know the reason why, because it was prophesied, it was laid out, it was set up. But even still, there's the opportunities that we have to question his word to question his way, to question his motive, to question his reason, to question his intent, to question circumstances and situations of our lives. But what must we do? Doubt God? No. Trust in his divine plan. Let me just read the end of that story again today, can I? After they heard, the Bible says they went, verse 15 and 16, Luke 2. So it was when the angels had gone away for them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, what did they say? Come on. What did they say? What did the shepherds say? Uh, uh. What did they do? Did they question? Did they doubt? No. What did they say? Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. In verse 16, and they went with haste. They ran to see Jesus. Can you see what can happen when we question? We can begin to sit there and say, man, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. They pushed all that aside. And what did they say? Let's go to Jesus. You see, your questions, all they want to do is to keep you from your answer. They want to keep you from Jesus. What did they do when they saw Jesus? They fell down and they worshipped him. They gave him the praise and the glory. They, They didn't question. They ran to him. Isn't it amazing? I could have done and probably would have done things differently. But those questions can keep me from his divine plan for my life. And it's a plan that's even greater than my life. Because look what verse 18 says. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. You know what the shepherds did? When they went, they told everyone. Everyone around them. Hey, listen, I'm sure they were probably knocking on doors and screaming and hollering, saying, you've got no idea who's come to this world. A Savior's been born. Let me tell you about Jesus. He's in a stable. He's, he's come for us. We don't need a sacrifice anymore. He is the sacrifice. He's the one. Can you see how their testimony and witness could have been silenced? Because they didn't understand it all. Because they didn't figure it out. And they didn't know it all. Be careful today. That even though you may not have all the answers you think you need, I'm telling you right now, you have the answer you need. And his name is Jesus. All you got to do is trust him. Why? Because we know that all things work together for good. Doesn't mean everything is good, but everything's going to be good when I trust him. When I give my life to him. When I don't doubt his ability, but I just allow my availability just to rule and reign and give my life to God and God will come through. I wonder what you're questioning today. I wonder what you may be looking at and saying, well, this isn't right and that isn't right and I would have done this different. Come on, don't be cynical. Don't allow those things to separate you from where you need to be. We need to be like the angels and the shepherds rather today and that is this. I don't know what's happened. I don't know what's going on, but I know where I'm going. I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm going to throw my life. On Wednesday, what are you going to do? Are you going to question or are you going to throw your hands in the air and say, thank you, Jesus, you were born today. Come on, we're going to worship God and we're going to praise God because he's an awesome God and he's a mighty God. Would you stand to your feet with us today? Questions, questions, questions. Answer, answer, answer. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. What's the answer to my question? Jesus. Is it for me to doubt? No, it's for me to trust. 
It's for me to believe that he's working it all together for good. I would have done it differently, but I'm glad I'm not God. Because I only see right now, but God sees everything. He knows everything. He knows everything. Have you ever watched a movie and you've thought that you know how it's going to end in the middle? And then all of a sudden you say, man, I never saw that coming. Wow, you need to see that movie because I never... Wow, that was a twist in there. I never suspected that that person was going to do this and that. Isn't it amazing how many times we can come to the conclusion before the end? Through questioning God. Come on, we need to keep trusting Him, keep believing. Come on, put your hands in the air right now. Can you do that? What is that? It's a universal sign of surrender, saying, God, I just surrender to you every question, every fear. Come on, what is it? How am I going to do this? What am I going to do? How am I going to make it? Does anyone love? All the questions, questions, questions. Come on. We're surrendering them to God and we're saying, God, let your peace come. How does peace come? Through relationship, through giving our lives to God. God, we don't want to doubt you anymore. God, we just want to trust you. We want to trust in your divine plan, your divine purpose, God, for our lives. Because even though we maybe don't see it right now, the promise is you're working all things together for my good not my neighbor's good you're going to take care of them too but God it's personal right now for me for my circumstances for my situation you're working it all together for good because it's always good when it's God and God weeping may endure for the night but God my joy is coming in the morning come on darkness is not the end it's We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard, but we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.